praying for Miss Wanda. She's trying to recover from vertigo and it's been affecting her now for several weeks and she thought she might be able to be here this morning and when she tried it just wasn't working out for her so uh, I appreciate the fact that uh, tonight Miss Donna has stepped up and played and and uh, I was hoping she's going to this morning. Couldn't quite get her there but uh, she wanted the time to practice but I'm glad that uh, she has that gift and, and you know it's always great to see that happen so uh, thank you again, David, for being here and, and leading us in worship today, and, and uh, do continue to pray for both Tommy and his family, do continue to pray for our church as we're moving forward in time of transition, time of change, and, and we know that uh, we're looking for the Lord's direction and will in many different ways, so uh, just continue to keep that as a matter of prayer. Our prayer room is always open. You may avail yourself to that quite often. You know, that's the, to me, that's the first line of making sure we're doing what the Lord wants. You pray, so... If you're looking for ways to pray and specific things to pray, over here in the East Wing, we have a room that's specifically set aside to pray, and, and we encourage you to make use of that. We do have a, a, a prayer team that's utilizing that as well, so we hope that uh, you can be uh, involved in that. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians, and we're going to look again as we continue to look at this church uh, that uh, was both a marvel and a mess. You hear me say that almost every night that, that we talk about it, but but the Corinthian church was a, a, a very special church in many respects, and yet uh, it was a mess. It, it, it had become a mess, and, and the Apostle Paul was writing. This is actually not the first letter the Apostle Paul had written to the church. We don't have the first letter. This is actually a second letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, and then he wrote another letter that was lost, and then he wrote what we now know as 2 Corinthians. So there were at least four different times Paul wrote to this church and trying to help them out and trying to fix the problem, uh, problems that they had. And we've been examining those uh, already through the last few weeks. But uh, tonight we're going to look at the problem of church discipline. Uh, we're going to look at an interesting passage of Scripture. I've used this passage for many times for different reasons. Uh, but we're going to look at it tonight from the standpoint of church discipline. Now, many years ago when I was pastoring in um, a church in Mississippi... Uh, it was an old church. They, I actually went back a few years ago and celebrated with them their 150th anniversary, their homecoming. They invited me to come and, 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 and preach the message for them. And, and, uh, but I remember when I first became pastor, I pulled out some of the old minutes. Now, when I talk about the old minutes, I'm talking about in the 1800s minutes, and some of them uh, all the way up to the early 1900s. And I was just going through those minutes fascinated. First off, whoever wrote those minutes had the greatest penmanship. They, it must have been Suzanne Nichols' ancestor, uh, because whoever wrote that, it was a beautiful penmanship and just a you know, great read, just from the standpoint of that. But uh, I remember looking at the minutes because over and over it was repeated in the minutes that people had been brought before the church for disciplinary measure, measures. Uh, I was amazed. That for, I don't remember all the specifics, uh, all of them, but I do remember one of the infractions had to do with a member had been found at the local saloon, so he had to stand before the church and uh, confess and repent in order to be forgiven. Um, and then there was another couple that had been found at a dance hall, and uh, they were forced to stand before the church and do the exact same thing. And, and in fact, back in those days, the church was your connection to all of society. 
if, uh, if you were outed by the church, you were out, period. Uh, you, you know, uh, it was going to be tough for you to do business. It's going to be tough for you to do anything. And, and probably even your families didn't want you around. I mean, that's how bad it would be if the church said, we're, we're putting you out of the church. So, so it was an interesting thing to read those minutes, look at all those things that had occurred over and over in the life of the early church. But um, as I look at uh, the Bible, as I look at church today, I realize that you know, churches do things quite different. Obviously, we are not the center of society today. In fact, we're kind of on the marginal side of what's going on in the world. And, you know, it used to, the, the calendar of the community revolved around the calendar of the church. Now it's the church trying to put its calendar around the community. So we're, we're in an interesting time uh, in a lot of different ways. But uh, most of the discipline that I have been involved in as a pastor through the years has been quiet. It's been uh, one-on-one, uh, maybe involving a few extra folks, some deacons or something of that nature to, to deal with issues. And so, uh, you know, it's been a different kind of way of disciplining members than it used to be. Uh, we obviously, uh, it would be uh, almost an extreme case where you'd br- drag somebody up before the church, and I'm not even sure you could actually get anybody to do that anymore. <laughs> but even if you did, uh, it would be quite different. So in our text, Paul, though, is revealing Uh, the kind of problem that the church was dealing with that we talked about last time, and that is pride, and how pride spilled over in their willingness to tolerate and allow things in the life of the church that should never be allowed. But also, the need of self-discipline and church discipline, and being willing to to, uh, be accountable to one another, uh, to the Lord, so that we live our lives in such a way that we're not only uh, being a strong witness ourselves, but we're also uh, bringing glory to the Lord Jesus and not bringing reproach on His church. So let's look together at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll look at the entire chapter as it all flows together in 13 verses. So let's look at this together. It is actually reported that sexual immorality exists among you. The kind of immorality that is not permitted even among the Gentiles. So that someone is cohabitating with his father's wife. And you are proud. Shouldn't you have been deeply sorrowful instead and removed the one who did this from among you? For even though I am absent physically, I am present in spirit. And I have already judged the one who did this, just as though I were present. When you gather together in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I'm with you in spirit, along with the power of our Lord Jesus, turn this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast affects the whole batch of dough? Clean out the old yeast so that you may be a new batch of dough. You are, in fact, without yeast. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So then, let us celebrate the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of vice and evil, but with the bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. In no way did I mean the immoral people of this world or the greedy and swindlers and idolaters since you would then have to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who calls himself a Christian 
who is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or verbally abusive or a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such a person. For what do I have to do with judging those outside? Are you not to judge those inside? But God will judge those outside. Remove the evil person from among you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the passage that the Apostle Paul wrote. Lord, once again, reminding us of the importance of purity and holiness as well as, Lord, dispensing your grace and your mercy. For, Lord, we know that your church is a representation and is the body of Christ upon the earth in the way that, Lord, your spirit dwells within us and we are your temple. And, Lord, that we're to live our lives in such a way that it is holy, it is moral, and, Lord, it's obedient to you, to your principles, to your word. And yet, Lord, again, remind us of the importance of being accountable to each other, Lord, being willing to face and confront where confrontation is needed, to be able to rebuke when rebuke is needed, but Lord, also to be able to love and encourage and support and help where that is needed as well. So Lord, in these moments that we examine the passage, may your Holy Spirit speak to us, and Lord, may we be taught or reminded of that which is so important, and Lord, that what we say, what we do, how we live not just as individuals, but corporately as a church, that it would reflect upon you and reflect well and bring glory and honor to you. To this end, Lord, I pray that you'll do your great work here tonight. Whatever commitments, whatever decisions we need to make, we'll make them for you and for your kingdom, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this passage of Scripture, notice several things about discipline that Paul is talking about here with regards to the issue that they had in the Corinthian church. And it wasn't just this issue, it was this issue that Paul highlighted. But he said that there was immorality among them. So I think one of the things that the Apostle Paul was dealing with, and he deals with it also later, is that there was immorality within the church, but there was such immorality that it had actually gone to this level, and Paul used this as the example to say, here's how far you've gone because of your pride. Here's how far you've gone because you've not been willing to do what God wants you to do. So let's look at several things here about this that we can learn for ourselves, and particularly as we examine our own lives in the light of God's Word. Because Paul is very direct, Paul is very plain, uh, and he's, he's very concerned about the life and the testimony of the church in the community in which they live. So first, let's look at the application of church discipline. First off, Paul says it's necessary. Paul did not mince any words. He didn't say, now, I think you should do this, and I think you ought to consider that. And No, Paul did not say that. Paul said, <laughs> you do this. In fact, he finished our passage by saying, remove the evil person from among you. So Paul isn't really giving them any leeway of what to do. He's telling them why they should do it and how they should do it, and they need to do it. And as they look at this, it, Paul is saying discipline in the church is necessary. See, it's necessary in our life. It's necessary in our homes. The people who do not discipline their children, uh, who try to do everything they can not to be disciplinary, uh, the Lord has a, 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 a problem with that. In fact, uh, we look in the Old Testament, we see how Paul, uh, I mean, how, uh, how the Lord uh, scolded Eli, the priest, through Samuel because he did not discipline his children. And then you look at Samuel himself. You would have thought Samuel would have learned from Eli, okay, I need to discipline my children. No, 
He did not discipline his children, and so Samuel's own children were a problem as well. The Bible tells us to spare the rod and spoil the child. So we know that God is about discipline when it comes to children so that they'll be able to grow and know how to obey authority, so they'll know how to obey Him, how, they, how they'll know how to deal with not only God's Word and God's will for their life, but also live in society itself. The same is true within the church. There's a necessity in, in disciplining one another in the church. And when I say that, I'm not talking about what I just described in the 1800s necessarily. What I'm just talking about here, though, is an understanding that when a child of God who calls himself a Christian steps out so that it has become publicly known that they're living in sin, the church needs to deal with it. And unfortunately, the church doesn't always deal with that. But why is it necessary today, perhaps more than ever? Well, one, because of the deterioration of moral standards. We're living in a time where moral standards have decayed to the point that we have now come to the point in, in our country and due to a ruling of a federal judge that even in the state of Alabama, even though vast majority of people in Alabama did not want it, you have same-sex marriage. Or you have people living in homosexual relationships. Or you have people who are not married who, who find it now almost acceptable to live together before marriage. You have people today who, who think nothing about the killing of babies and, and abortion and and we're now at the level of about 61 million babies who have been aborted and, and killed. We're, we're looking at a time now where people aren't just talking about early-term abortion. We're talking about late-term abortion. We're talking about uh, partial birth abortion. We're talking about even post-birth abortion. We're talking about things that nobody would have spoken of years ago because our moral standards have changed to the point that even the church has been affected. It's necessary. Discipline of ourselves and of one another and, and of the church so that we do not fall into the same problem the world has when it comes to moral deterioration and standards. But also the contemporary thinking rather than biblical truth. One of the other reasons why church discipline is necessary because there are a lot of people today who are thinking about what is everybody else doing? What does the world say? What does the world think? What's going on in, in the world as opposed to what does the Bible say and what is biblical truth? And unfortunately, it's becoming more rare than ever before for churches to govern themselves as a church and then for individual Christians to govern themselves based on biblical truth, based on what the Bible says. There's so many people today that basically are saying things like, well, I believe or I think or, or whatever. And they're basically living their life based on their opinions. They're living their life based on the opinions of others. Well, folks, I pray that you'll understand that when it comes to the Lord and when it comes to being obedient and walking with Him the way we should, you must walk according to what the Bible says. Not what some preacher on TV says. Not what other people are saying. Not what is popular. Not what is acceptable. But what does God's Word say? And that's why church discipline is necessary is because not only the deterioration of, of moral standards, but also the contemporary thinking versus biblical truth. But also the third reason uh, is necessary is because there becomes confusion in the church between liberty and laxi laxity. In other words, there's a problem with the fact that people think, well, I'm free in Christ, therefore I don't really have to worry about what other people are doing. I don't even have to really worry about what I'm doing. They just simply become lax when it comes to keeping themselves pure before the Lord. And they have accepted that freedom is the means by which they can live their life. Well, 
Let's use Paul as the example here because he's writing to the Corinthians. Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not everything is expedient. In other words, not everything's profitable, not everything's good. And Paul talks often in his letters, and I'm sure he talked often in the church about the fact that there are certain things that might be right for you, but they're not right to other people. They bring harm to other people. They cause other people to stumble. Therefore, when you're around people that that causes them to stumble, it, be, it should become for you something you don't do. I've used my grandmother as an example of this, and, and uh, I saw some of you will recognize this story, but, you know, I didn't see anything wrong playing solitaire. Uh, when I was in the Army, a lot of times, that's the way I kind of pass my time is uh, throw out a deck of cards and, you know, uh, play solitaire. And I got to my grandmother's house, and, you know, I broke out the cards and kind of cleared off her coffee table, and I'm just out there just throwing up cards left and right and getting them all. And my grandmother came in and said, get the tools of the devil out of my house right now. And you know what I did? I just gathered up all my cards and put them back in the box and got them out of the house. I never played solitaire again in her house. Now, was it wrong for me? No. Was it for my grandmother? Yes. I actually right now have a statue of Moses in my study. And I keep it there because my grandmother gave it to me. But the reason she gave it to me is because somebody went to Israel, or, or maybe it was Italy. Uh, it was the Michelangelo statue of, of Moses. And anyway, brought that thing back to her. And as far as she was concerned, it was an idol, and it had to get out of the house. I said, I'll take it. Not because I'm going to worship Moses, but because it's, a, it's just a statue. But to her, it was not coming in her house. She had to get 80 years old before she'd wear a red dress. And thought she was really something stepping out in a red dress because you just didn't wear a red dress back then. So ladies, you got a red dress. Thank the Lord that we live in more in a time of grace than law. Amen. But I'm telling you that, again, to say this. Things change in the church, and, and a lot of people look at things differently, but we should never use our liberty to excuse doing things that God has explicitly said, do not do. And there's even things that God did not say, do not do, but they may not be expedient. They may not be profitable for that time and that moment with the people that you're with in order to do it. You don't use your liberty as a license to harm other people. You don't use your liberty as a reason in order to sin against God. You got a lot of people outside the Baptist faith, you know, they say, well, you people believe in once saved, always saved. So that means you can just get saved and you just go out and do anything you want. Well, they don't obviously know the God that I know. Because my God's got a better belt than I've got on tonight. And he knows how to use it. I remember this belt right here has got little, doesn't it have metal things on it? I remember the first time I got a belt with metal things and opened it up Christmas. Somebody gave it to me Christmas and my, one of my children looked at it and said, I'm sure glad you didn't have that when I was growing up. You have to have church discipline. You have to have self-discipline because of changing moral standards, because of the way people think as opposed to biblical truth, because of confusion between liberty and, and uh, just simply accepting things, and then contentment without discipline. There are a lot of people today in life who have become content, even in the, the Christian life, without discipline. They're just content with where they are. They basically have this mindset that says something like this, it's just the way I am. Or it's just the way things are. 
and they've just resigned themselves to the fact that I can just be content with whatever's going on. No, the Bible says we should be growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to be moving forward in our holiness, in our walk with the Lord. There's something that the Lord wants to be doing in our life through the work of His Holy Spirit. It's called sanctification. That means that every day we're becoming more like Jesus. And we're not becoming more like Jesus every day. We have settled for contentment over discipline. Because discipline will say, today I'm getting victory over this thought. Today I'm getting victory over this attitude. Today I'm getting victory over this action. I'm going to do what the Lord wants me to do. Now that's the necessity of discipline. But what is the objective of church discipline? Well, we find that in this passage as well. What the Apostle Paul had in mind for this man was not to destroy him. What the Apostle Paul intended, first off, was that he be dealt with in such a way that he would recognize his sin. So, so Paul's first objective in what he's talking about here in the church was to restore this disobedient, sinful saint. He calls him an evil person, but he doesn't say he's not saved. I've actually used this passage of Scripture from time to time to talk about the difference between being saved and lost and being under the discipline of the church. Let's look at this passage one more time very carefully so you you pick this up. Look at verse 5. Paul said, turn this man over to Satan. In other words, take him out from the umbrella of the church. Take him out from the protection that he has with God's people. Put him out, if you will, over, turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Did you catch that? Do you understand what Paul is saying here? This is one of those passages of Scripture that, again, nails down for me the security of the believer. That you have a genuinely, truly been saved then nothing of this earth is going to cause you to be unsaved, but you certainly will fall under the discipline of Almighty God, and you should fall under the discipline of God's people. And if you look at this passage of Scripture carefully, Paul's objective was to restore this person. He wanted this person to recognize the sin. Not only had this person apparently not recognized the sin, the church had become too proud to recognize the sin as well, and it was such a grievous sin, people outside the church weren't even doing what he was doing and that says a lot because these people were doing a lot of things that were wrong Paul said he's you've even allowed him to do something that and get away with it that the world itself doesn't even allow so he had to recognize his sin he had to be able and willing to respond to the warning and rebuke and if not uh, then then he should be turned out of the church but if if he's willing to repent then he should be restored. Now, you actually find this in 2 Corinthians. You actually find later on that Paul is addressing the situation in which the church had actually gone too far. <laughs> Their discipline actually was no longer achieving its objective, which was restoration, which was redemption, but they'd actually gone so far to basically say, you're not going to be restored, you're not going to be uh, experience redemption we're never going to let you back into the church and Paul said because this person becomes sorrowful and repentant they needed to restore this person now understand that was Paul's objective in discipline it ought to be our objective when our with our kids we're trying to make them better not make them harsh and 
and bitter. We're trying to, to teach them right from wrong. And, and yet, uh, if there's not repentance, if there's not restoration uh, in discipline, then, then the objective is not right. But also, not only to restore the disobedient fallen, but it's also to remind the careless. You see, there's a lot of people in church looking at this guy and saying, you know what, God didn't strike him dead today. God didn't strike him dead yesterday, so maybe God's okay with what he's doing. Maybe it's all right that he's having this relationship with his stepmother. Maybe it's all right because nobody in the church seems to think it's wrong and, and God hasn't struck him with lightning, so, so surely something must be okay about this. Well, that was making people become careless about the truth of God's Word. That happens quite often today where people are looking at what the Lord is or isn't doing or what the church is or isn't doing and and they're forgetting the one thing that is biblically true and spiritually true and is true. Sin has consequences. See, there's a difference between being forgiven of a sin and escaping consequences of sin. David's probably the best example we have in all the Bible because David was confronted with his sin, what he had done with Bathsheba, what he had done with Bathsheba's husband. And so he was confronted with his sin. He, David himself had already pronounced somebody who would do such a thing should die. And Nathan said, you're the man. <laughs> you did it. And he repented. We have psalms that were sung by the people of God about how he repented and how, what his life was like before he confessed his sin and what it was like after. And, and yet he received the forgiveness of God. But hear me, people. He was forgiven by God, but the consequences never went away all of his life. He dealt with it day after day. His sons turned against him. There was the sword and rebellion within his family and within his kingdom. And he never had a moment's rest from that time forward with regards to the consequences, including the death of the child. There are consequences. And the church, discipline in the church, discipline that we should do with one another is to remind each other that we should not be careless when it comes to sin, that sin has its consequences. And folks, I just want to tell you, church is serious business with God. It really is. Now, I'm not going to say every time you lie, you're going to drop dead, but when we get to heaven, talk to Ananias and Sapphira about how serious church is. They came in there telling a story about how much they'd sold the land for, and, and they lied, and, and, you know, boom, one drops dead, and the other comes in, boom, drops dead. In fact, uh, you know, they say, hey, the people that are going to carry you out are standing at the door. You're about to die. You just lied. Boom, there they go. Funeral was already planned. Church is serious business with God. Calling oneself a Christian is serious business with God. And sin is serious with God to the point that even a Christian can be forgiven yet still suffer consequences of sin. Well, let's move on. It's, the application of church discipline is necessary. Uh, it has objectives in terms of restoration, in terms of reminding the careless, and also to revive the church. You see, the church projects the character of God. To people outside the church, they understand God based on us and our life. God's a good God. God's a gracious God. God's a loving God. God's a forgiving God. 
based on how we live our lives. But God is also holy and just, and all the characteristics of God are to be known, and they are known also through us. Just as you represent your family. If you've been here for decades and, or centuries and generation after generation, people think of your family. They think of your family based on the representation of your life and it reflects on the character of your whole family, your whole name. Everything about your family, everything about your name is reflected by how you live. Well, Jesus and how people think about him, how they think about the gospel, how they think about everything about the church requires that you and I practice discipline of ourself, of one another, that the church itself recognizes it has an important role to play in projecting the character of God and proclaiming the gospel and in the work of the Holy Spirit. And I want to submit to you tonight, and I believe I'm standing on firm ground when I tell you this biblically, that, that if a person refuses to confess sin and refuses to self-discipline, then they, they lose the ability for the Holy Spirit to work in their life. But I will tell you this, that when a church refuses to do it, the church forfeits, it, forfeits the same thing. Again, I go back to the Old Testament. And I remember a group of people who had just conquered Jericho and, and God had given them this great victory. And then there was this little rubble of a place called Ai, which in Hebrew meant rubble, and there was just a handful of people there, and they thought, well, we can just go over there and we'll just whip them. No problem, we won't even send but just a fraction of our army. We'll go up there, we'll, we'll. and they got up there, and, 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 and they got whipped. They came back to camp, and want to know what happened. Because if they couldn't take that little rubble. They sure weren't taking those fortified cities all throughout the, the promised land. Something happened, and they want to know what happened because God wasn't with them. And when Joshua and Moses, when they looked to the Lord, but Joshua looked to the Lord to what was happening, what was it? There was sin in the camp. Somebody had stolen something, hid it, and the Lord said, you got problem in the camp. I'm not going to be with you till you get the problem out of the camp. Well, they went by lots until they finally found who it was and Sure enough, it was A.I. and his family, so they took him out, they stoned him. And folks, the church is no different today. It's not that we've got to go around looking for the sin that's in everybody's life. It's not that we're going around with, you know, with some kind of judgmental attitude. But just understand that one of the reasons you need to be a self-disciplined Christian is because you may be the reason why the Lord is hindered in work that God wants to do, not only in your life, but in the life of others. As we look on, we see that <clears throat> also it, 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 its objective is uh, important, its necessity is important, but also the practice. You see, there's a, different, there's, a, there's a biblical way to deal with people and deal with things in the church. One is personal preparation. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul in other places as well says, before you're going to deal with somebody, you better deal with yourself first. And Jesus said the same thing, before you go looking at the speck in somebody's eye, you better get the beam out of yours. <laughs> you deal with yourself, you get yourself right with God, you make sure you're right, make sure that you are a spiritual person, because Paul talked about restoration and talked about the danger of trying to restore somebody when you yourself are not spiritual because you might fall into the same temptation that that person fell into. 
So you go and look at yourself first. So there's personal preparation, and then there's individual approach. That is, you talk to somebody one-on-one. You bring into attention that which is in their life that needs to be addressed, needs to be dealt with, whatever that issue is. That's Matthew 18, 15. If that doesn't work, then you use a team approach. You get some couple of people to go with you that are witnesses, and, and you deal with that again. And if that person's still unrepentant, that person's still unwilling to, to deal with what needs to be done, you can bring in the congregation. And that's what Paul is at that point. He said, <laughs> we're kind of past that point of all this other stuff. It's just time to act. It's time to put the person out of the church. And he says, when you do so, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do it in the power of Jesus. And do it for the day of Jesus. Do the discipline. Real quickly, I'm about out of time here. And I'm, in fact, I've taken more time than I normally do. But I'm just going to share these things real quickly with you. The abuse of church discipline. You see, one of the problems that churches have today about discipline is because they're afraid they're going to be abusive. And the truth of the matter is, there are parents who abuse their children instead of discipline their children, so that's certainly a factor in the home, and it certainly can be a factor in the church. There can be issues in which people are no longer doing the discipline that needs to be done for the right objectives and, and doing it in the right way and understanding the necessity of it uh, in, from a biblical standpoint, but they're just simply using it as tyranny over other people. That's why you find that in some churches there might be what I would call the inquisition, you know, where, where you're just going around being nosy into people's lives and inquiring people and, and basically running them down for every little thing that's in their life and one person doing it after another. And, and folks, the, the Bible is not anywhere close to saying we ought to be tyrannizing one another. Or whether we need to be looking at people in such a judgmental way that we're trying to pick out every little thing in their life that we think is wrong and addressing That's just pure abuse of God's power and God's grace. Destruction of a person's life. There's some people who are literally motivated to simply destroy a person's life. You know, early in church history, people killed one another in church. If they didn't like what you believed, they didn't like what you taught, uh, you, were, you were sentenced to death. Uh, uh, I remember years ago, I was rereading since I found out I was descended from some of these English kings and so forth, so I decided I was going to look a little bit more into the history and but, you know, you get into the church history, you get into religious history, and you look at what was going on in the time of the transition between the Catholic Church and the Church of England. And at that time, there were some people who were beginning to believe much like what we believe in terms of the Bible because the Bible was being printed. They had the Bible. They began to believe what the Bible says. And next thing you know, what are all these people doing? The Catholics are killing the, <clears throat> the Anglicans. The Anglicans are killing the Catholics. And the Catholics and the Anglicans are killing the Biblicists. I mean, they're just killing each other, burning each other at stake torturing each other, killing each other. For Baptists, the particular play, uh, way of death usually was to drown them. You want to be baptized? We'll just put you under and leave you. <laughs> that's, see, that's not church discipline. And today there are people who do that in a spiritual way. They do it in an emotional way. They literally will destroy a person rather than seek to do what God says, and that's restore the person. And they're just destructive in their approach to dealing with people and they destroy people's lives they destroy people's characters they destroy people's reputation they just simply destroy relationships you see another abuse of church discipline is to bring about schisms discipline that's not within the biblical principles therefore it brings division among God's people and Paul did not want divisions within the church but he certainly wanted them to be united in terms of being pure and holy. And then there's the alternative to church discipline very quickly. 
the, the thing I've been talking to you about all night, the, the, the best thing you can do about church discipline is you discipline yourself. You just look at your life in light of God's Word. Am I living according to God's will? There's certain things in the Bible that God has said, this is my will for you. You do it. There are some things that God has given to us in His Word that will apply to us as individuals in terms of His plan and purpose for our life. We should seek that and do that. And there's ways in which we ought to live our lives, and the Bible speaks to that as well. And so, so there ought to be self-discipline in our life when it comes to who and what we are in Christ and what we're trying to represent to the lost world in terms of a witness, in terms of God's work in our life. But there's also the example of Christ. Notice uh, Paul spends a lot of time here talking about the yeast and the dough and Christ as our Passover lamb. Basically what Paul is saying is, hey, we, when we were Jews, we observed the Passover, and you're observing the Passover, only now it's called the Lord's Supper. But, but you have Christ as your example, and, and what did you do? You, you, you had a sinless Savior, and you used bread that didn't have yeast in it. You can't have sin in the life of the church and it not affect the whole church. So the alternative is to look at Jesus and the example of the Passover. You know what the Jews did for Passover? They went throughout their whole house to locate every little speck of leaven in the house. I mean, they got, they got into the nooks and crannies and everything. They just cleaned everything out and did a total house purge. You know, in the South, we call that spring cleaning. Well, they just went in there, and I mean, they, anything and everything that even looked like it could have yeast was gone. Well, spiritually, that's what we need to do in our life. And if we keep Christ as the example who is our Passover, then we'll be willing to do what we need to do in terms of self-discipline. To keep the feast of the Lord, to purge out the old leaven, and to live a life that the Lord would be pleased with. I'm not suggesting tonight, folks, that we start hauling people up here every time we find them engaged in something we don't like or something we think is particularly wrong. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. I think we ought to be loving and careful first to make sure we're disciplining ourselves. <laughs> and then secondly, that when we approach somebody, we do it out of love and we do it one-on-one. We're not trying to embarrass anybody. We're not trying to out anybody. We're not trying to do anything we're just going to that person and see that's the thing to me more than anything that's a problem in the church today we've come to this point where we're willing to text we're willing to do all kind of things we'll say things about people on social media we'll do everything except talk to the person we need to talk to and if there's anything that needs to happen in the church today more than anything is you got an issue with somebody before you say anything on social media before you say anything to anybody about anybody The first thing you've done, first off, is you've dealt with the Lord in this matter. And secondly, you have gone to the person. And you have talked with them. And if you hadn't done that, I'm just going to tell you now, don't come to me and talk about somebody. Because the first thing I'm going to ask you is, have you talked to them? That's biblical. And that needs to happen. And chances are, if you have a good relationship with this person, they will lovingly accept your correction. And so I didn't think about that. I didn't realize that. I thank you for pointing that out. Now, is everybody going to do that? No. That's when you involve a team. <laughs> and if it's egregious enough, the church. 
Folks, God help us to just be good disciplinarians of ourselves, so that we walk out of this church and into the world and people see Jesus. Because we've been willing to get rid of anything in our life that doesn't look like Jesus, doesn't act like Jesus, doesn't have the attitude of Jesus. Our life is just exactly what our Savior wants us to have. And in this world, it is tough. But it's no less needed today than it ever has been. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and Lord, it's a difficult passage to look at because it involves discipline. And Lord, we remember even as children when we were disciplined, we did not find that to be good. And, and Lord, we didn't particularly like it. But Lord, we can look back over our life and if our parents disciplined us correctly and if we, if we were taught right from wrong, then we can, we can enter into a time of thanksgiving for that which was done in our life to help us to be able to hear you and respond to you and walk with you and respect your authority in our life in terms of your word and also of those you place over us. But, Lord, I'm asking tonight that we just once again take a look at our life. Lord, there may be someone here who has yet to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. And, and Lord, they're not even under your discipline because they, you, they don't even belong to you yet. But, Lord, I pray that today they'd say yes to a Savior who loves them. And, Lord, just come into that wonderful relationship that they can have with you through your son, Jesus. And, but, Lord, I pray for believers here today because I know the vast majority, perhaps almost anyone and everyone here tonight because they love you and they're here on a Sunday night. Lord, they, they've accepted Christ, but, Lord, sometimes we become lax in the way in which we look at our life and what's going on and around those uh, around us. And, and, Lord, sometimes we just forget that, Lord, we're supposed to be willing to self-discipline and, and yet, Lord, also to be willing to help others to to grow in the walk that you want us to have with each other. And Lord, I know a lot of that can be achieved through discipleship, where we can help people by just simply uh, building those relationships and pouring ourselves into their life and helping them to move from where they are to where they need to be. And, and Lord, I pray that many of us will be involved in that. But I also pray, Lord, that there'll be those who, when that time comes, we have that person that we have a relationship with and we see there's something destructive and something harmful and something sinful in their life. Lord, that we would be willing and love them enough to point it out. And Lord, to do what's necessary to help them so that they might be restored. But Lord, I'm just so grateful that even sin can't keep us from you if we're saved. Lord, you'd just soon let us be destroyed by Satan so that our spirit might be saved and to let us bring reproach upon your name or, or to harm the witness of the church. Lord, I pray that that'd be our prayer too, that, Lord, if our life becomes such that we're not what we should be and not doing what we should be, that, Lord, we're willing to sacrifice our life if necessary in terms of discipline so that you would not receive any reproach above that which you bore on the cross for us. So, Lord, have your will in your way in this time of invitation. If there's prayers and commitments and decisions that need to be made here tonight, then, Lord, help us to make them for your glory. And Lord, to walk out of here with a fresh commitment to be what we're supposed to be, doing what we're supposed to be doing, and doing it in love. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll sing the hymn of invitation. If the Lord has spoken to you, there's a commitment or decision you need to make, then we invite you to come as we sing, Brother David.